Activision Blizzard is one of the most famous video game companies in the world. Its biggest games are Call of Duty and World of Warcraft. It's been making classics since the 90s. Games like Crash Bandicoot, what have I got? Guitar Hero, and even smartphone games like Candy Crush. Candy, candy, need more candy. But in the last few months, the company has gotten attention for something other than its video games. In July, the state of California brought a lawsuit against Activision. It claimed the company had maintained a, quote, frat boy culture and that it had ignored allegations of sexual harassment and discrimination. Since then, two other regulatory investigations have come to light. Our colleague Kirsten Grind and a group of reporters at The Wall Street Journal have been looking into what's been going on at the company. We spent months talking to people familiar with Activision, former employees. We looked at a lot of internal company documents to see what's been going on there. This group of reporters has found more alleged incidents that date back years. And the reports keep building. Since the July lawsuit, another thing that we've uncovered is that Activision has seen more than 500 additional internal reports of harassment, assault, other misconduct, and other issues that they're now trying to investigate. The company says it's making changes and trying to stay more informed about workplace issues, and that it's committed to having the most welcoming and inclusive workplace in the industry. But for Kirsten and her colleagues, these allegations raised more questions about the man who's been running Activision for decades, CEO Bobby Kotick. He's actually one of the highest paid CEOs across the country. He had a pay package of $154 million in 2020. And we just thought we should find out more about what he knew about all of this and how he's handled it. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Friday, November 19th. Coming up on the show, the culture crisis at Activision and what the company's CEO knew about it. This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. In 1991, a college dropout named Bobby Kotick and a group of investors bought a struggling tech company out of bankruptcy for $400,000. It was called Activision, and Kotick transformed it into an industry juggernaut. He just started growing it like crazy since that time. The reputation was really as an aggressive, just video game empire, right? And the reputation was very much tied to Bobby. He had led the company for three decades. So based on the conversations you've had in your reporting, can you describe Bobby Kotick? What is he like? 
Well, I met him for an interview. I think a lot of people find him to be charismatic, but he's very exacting. He knows what he wants. He's very involved in his businesses. He's always involved in whatever company message might be sent out to the media or even internally. He's just really involved in almost every facet of these high-level business decisions. And he's extremely profit-driven. There's a reason that Activision's value has increased in the last decade from, I think, $14 billion to about $52 billion today. Kodak's strategy was to acquire existing video game studios that already had star developers and bring them under the Activision umbrella. And in 2008, the company acquired one of its most popular units, the studio Blizzard Entertainment. And Blizzard is the unit that is known for World of Warcraft, one of their most popular franchises. The drums of war thunder once again and other games that are very popular. And so that was really one of the defining moments for Activision. As Activision acquired more studios, Kodak kept them relatively separate. They were all under the Activision umbrella, but otherwise distinct. For example, the company didn't have one centralized human resources department until 2019. One of the studios Activision acquired was called Sledgehammer. And in 2016, a quality assurance analyst named Ashley Mark says she was very excited when she got an offer to work there. I just wanted to be, you know, part of something big. And so I applied and they hired me on. I found out I was working on uh, Call of Duty World War II, which was very exciting. We were going to see like a early trailer of the game and people were really pumped to be working on this project because it was just, we knew it was going to be a big deal to do this. At Activision, Ashley knew she would stand out. She says she was only one of about 20 women among the unit's hundreds of male employees. She says her new male colleagues seem to fall into different categories. You have, like, actually, honestly, different groups. You've got people who want to, you know, basically are very nerdy, want to make a good game, and then you've got the gun-loving group because it's Call of Duty, so you're going to attract people who love guns, and then you have got people who are really into fitness. There's a lot of people who are into fitness, uh, at least at that time, uh, at Sledgehammer Games, so there were people who would go into groups and that you would go to the gym and they would just get pumped up, so it's very masculine. And that could sometimes mean a bunch of guys drinking and partying at the office like when she went to the company's anniversary party in 2017. Ashley says that a manager at Sledgehammer named Edward Rorick was at the party and was very drunk. He put his arm around my female coworker, like around, like almost like a chokehold around her neck, and was just like hugging her and like saying her name. And people were just kind of like looking at it. And I was looking at it, it was just like, oh crap, really. (laughs) And we were just all kind of like stunned. And I think some people weren't sure if this was okay or not, or if this was appropriate. It obviously wasn't appropriate, but, you know, it's like people couldn't really gauge in the situation what to do. And then Ed tried to then hug me. And I just kind of moved away as like a very visible no. 
Rorick confirmed that he was investigated for a harassment incident at an office party in 2017. He said, quote, It was unclear what exactly did and did not happen since a lot of alcohol was involved. He added that it was, quote, stupid of me and totally uncalled for to get that drunk. Rorick says he was given a two-week paid leave and allowed to remain at Activision in a different position. Later, he and the company say he was let go after he had an argument with the manager about his green card. Ashley left Activision. Stories like this, it turns out, weren't uncommon at Activision. Kirsten and her colleagues have been looking at internal company documents and talking to former employees and people familiar with the company. And the reporting has found a pervasive culture of harassment and discrimination there. Can you give me some examples of what you learned in your reporting about what the culture was like at some of these Activision business units? So a lot of what happened, a lot of the stories we heard, unfortunately, were tied in large part to alcohol. Unusually, Activision across these studios had a very tolerant alcohol policy, meaning alcohol was allowed in the offices. You could drink at work. And so as the state lawsuit ultimately alleged, there would be these cube crawls where women were sort of subjected to men drinking and coming by their cubes and harassing them. There was a lot of other behavior like, um, you know, strip club meetings, just just sort of a lot of pressure to drink and party all the time. A lot of tech companies have beer taps and alcohol at the office. What was different about what Activision was doing? I think in a lot of tech companies that have beer on tap, it's not abused in the way that it was at Activision. At Activision Studios, it would be more like you could have a bottle at your desk. Like one employee was saying, oh, the managers would just gather around and have bottles of whiskey, you know, just every Friday. And so it just felt a little bit more disorganized. And so it got out of control more than you generally hear about at tech companies. The Wall Street Journal's reporting also showed that sexual innuendo was pervasive at the company. There was one example where an Activision employee had for years just signed his email signature, 1-800-ALLCOCK. So if you were a woman, you would get that email, and that was just the normal course, right? Just guys being guys, like joking about it. And you just sort of felt like that that was what happened at Activision, Activision said it received a complaint about this employee's email signature this summer, and that after a month-long investigation, it terminated the employee. The lawsuit California filed against Activision this summer alleges much more serious incidents, too. One of the most troubling allegations claimed that a woman had killed herself after a photo of her vagina had circulated at a company party. Activision has disputed the allegations in the California lawsuit. But the allegations against Activision extend beyond harassment. The company's top financial regulator, the SEC, has also opened an investigation. Why is the Securities and Exchange Commission, which regulates financial markets and things like that, interested in the sexual harassment allegations at a video game company? Well, it's interesting you say that because I wondered the exact same thing. Um, I, I have seen one of the subpoenas and they appear to be looking at 
how Activision handled the misconduct allegations, but also how executives, including Bobby Kotick, disclosed it to investors, to the board, to other executives, how they handled exit packages, things like that. I mean, all of this could affect a company's stock price, right, if it came out sooner than it did. An Activision spokesperson said they're cooperating with the SEC. Kodak also says he's been transparent with his board. Coming up, what the Wall Street Journal found about how Bobby Kodak handled the allegations. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by AARP. They have reskilling courses and career tools to help your income live as long as you do. The younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. As Kirsten and her colleagues started reporting on Activision, they learned that Kodak himself was accused of harassment at work. So in the workplace himself, Bobby Kotick has faced some issues. And some of them he's tried to get rid of pretty quickly. In one instance... In 2006, an assistant of his complained of harassment, including that he left a voicemail to her threatening to have her killed. A spokesperson for Activision said Kodak apologized 16 years ago and that he, quote, deeply regrets the exaggeration and tone in his voicemail to this day. The Journal's reporters also found that when it came to the latest allegations at Activision, Kodak was more involved than previously understood. Kirsten says that memos, emails, regulatory requests, interviews with former employees and people close to the board show that Kodak knew about the misconduct allegations well before the company publicly acknowledged them earlier this year. For instance, the reporters reviewed an email from July of 2018 that was sent to Kodak and other executives. It was from a lawyer who alleged her client, a former Activision employee, had been raped twice by her supervisor there. And the email alleged that this employee had complained to HR and to her supervisors at Sledgehammer, which is owned by Activision, and nothing had happened. In the second incident, she also filed a police report. She left in November 2017, and finally in July 2018, her lawyer sent this email. The email, we've seen it. It describes how this victim went to HR at Sledgehammer to complain about one of the incidents, and HR told her to reframe the situation in a different light to be more positive after being sexually assaulted by her supervisor. The lawyer was saying that this female employee tried to complain after being raped and was passed off, was not taken seriously. 
What happened after Bobby Kodak received this email? So after he received the email, the company quickly settled the case out of court. Bobby never told the board of directors about this allegation, these allegations, or the settlement. Activision says that after it received the email, it conducted an investigation. It says the employee said he was too intoxicated to remember what happened, but that he disagreed with the characterization of one of the incidents. The company also says it fired the employee two months after it received the email. The employee himself declined to comment. Kirsten and her colleagues also found that Kodak knew not just about the allegations against the company, but about a federal investigation into it. In 2018, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission started investigating Activision over harassment and discrimination claims. The investigation wasn't public at the time, but Kirsten's reporting revealed that Kodak knew about it. Activision actually hadn't made it public. They told employees, but they didn't disclose to investors or put it in their SEC filings or anything. We know that because we've seen documents related to this case and also talked to people, many people familiar with it. So Bobby would have known these regulators were starting to look into the company and he's now heard of allegations of a terrible kind at one of his studios and he didn't at that point inform the board about them. In a recent interview with Kirsten, Kodak said he's been transparent with the board of directors and that he shares as much information as the board requires and is appropriate. A lawyer for Activision also said that most companies don't disclose EEOC investigations. Still, when the harassment allegations first came to light... The board is blindsided because they've never heard of any problems at the company, right? And so then they're like, why didn't we know about any of this stuff? They wanted to know, like, why didn't you tell us, right? This summer, after California sued Activision, Kodak promoted a woman named Jennifer O'Neill to be co-leader of the Blizzard studio. She became the first woman to lead one of the company's business units. But just a month after she took the job? She sends this really scathing internal email to a member of the legal team and says she doesn't have faith in the company's leadership to handle this culture crisis. She says she herself is paid less than her male counterpart. She herself has been sexually harassed earlier in her career. She basically points to Bobby Kotick's knowledge of some of these culture issues. She says she was at a party with him around 2007 in which there were, you know, scantily clad women on poles. And she basically said, I want to talk about my resignation. She wanted to resign a month after taking this co-head job. Yes, exactly, because of her lack of faith in the company's ability to handle this giant culture crisis, basically professing a lack of faith in Bobby Kotick and the leadership team. O'Neill said in an email statement that she made a decision that was best for her and her family. Kodak told Kirsten that he disagrees with the characterization that Activision is an unwelcoming place for women. After Kirsten's story first published, Activision also issued a statement saying that the article, quote, paints a misleading view of the company and Kodak, 
and that it, quote, ignores important changes underway to make this the industry's most welcoming and inclusive workplace. Meanwhile, some current Activision employees have lost faith in Kodak. This week... Workers at the company staging a walkout, uh, pushing for CEO Bobby Kodak to step down after these multiple allegations... Over 100 employees held a protest and started a petition calling for Kodak's resignation and now has roughly 1,600 signatures, or about 15% of the company's workforce. On Tuesday night, the Activision board released a statement saying they're committed to implementing changes and that they remain confident in the company's CEO, Bobby Kotick. Ashley, that Activision employee we spoke to earlier, agrees with the employees who've walked out. I want Bobby Kotick to resign. She's since left the video game industry entirely. And she says Activision and the whole industry need to work on the culture. If they create a safer space to allow women to grow and to be nourished in their roles, you know, you could see a lot more, like, I would say, or probably more diverse stories. Probably, like, a better sense of respect for women in games, period. Do you think you'd ever go back to work for Activision or anywhere in the video game industry? Ah, that's a great question. I've thought about that before. Like, currently, right now, I'm working for a nonprofit, and I do like that. I do like, you know, being able to help people in that way. Um, In the future, would I ever want to go back into the game industry? Like, maybe. You know, I'm not going to say never. I don't know if I would want to work for Activision. I, Especially after what I've just said, I don't think they would want me back. Um, That's fine. After the journal story published this week, Microsoft and Sony, which make the most popular video game consoles, Xbox and PlayStation, both communicated concern over Activision's culture problem. That's all for today, Friday, November 19th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and the Wall Street Journal. Additional reporting in today's episode by Ben Fritz and Sarah E. Needleman. Your hosts are Kate Leinbaugh and me, Ryan Knudsen. The show is produced by Annie Baxter, Catherine Brewer, Pia Gadkari, Rachel Humphreys, Annie Minoff, Laura Morris, Afif Nasuli, Ricky Nevetsky, Enrique Perez de la Rosa, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, Kayla Stokes, and Annie Rose Strasser. Our engineers are Griffin Tanner and Nathan Singapak. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Catherine Anderson, Marcus Bagala, Peter Leonard, Billy Libby, Bobby Lord, Emma Munger, and Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasolka. Thanks for listening. See you Monday.